Exodus chapter 21 The Lord has just given to the children of Israel the Ten Commandments and then now in these following chapters he's going to speak to them about how these Ten Commandments translate into the everyday nitty-gritty of their life and God is um, unique of course in his uh, place and right to speak about uh, how we ought to live how Uh, the earth is to be managed how our lives are to be managed he uh, created the heavens and the earth he has created us and uh, so he has a right to instruct us on how we are to handle his his creation and so he does and we have already seen as we went through the first few verses of chapter uh, 21 headed down into uh, past verse 11 so we'll pick it up in 12 as he has addressed uh, the relationship of, of how uh, Hebrew uh, owners of servants and slaves were to treat their servants and slaves uh, in the ancient day ancient world ancient times and the protections that the Lord placed upon uh, slaves and upon servants unprecedented in, in human history at that time. Now in chapter 12 he begins to address crimes that uh, uh, we would call capital crimes or uh, crimes that if they're committed they are deserving of capital punishment, the death penalty. And he said, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So the Bible teaches with premeditated, deliberate murder. Uh, the murderer uh, was, if he was found guilty, he was to be sentenced to death. And that death sentence uh, provided a couple of things, uh, in, introduced a couple of things into the human condition, one of which was to introduce a deterrence uh, element. You have a lot of people today who do not believe that penalties for committing crime uh, provide any kind of deterrence to people committing those crimes and so they don't believe in that and uh, and most often hesitate to look at uh, raising the sentences and the severity of the sentences until they finally do get people's attention and constitute a deterrence but God does believe in a deterrence value Uh, related to punishment for crime. The second thing that he was communicating uh, to the nation of Israel and to the world through the nation of Israel in a death penalty for a murder is uh, his value for human life. His value that he places upon uh, innocent uh, human life. And, and so uh, that was a capital crime. Premeditated murder was a death sentence. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint you a place where he may flee. Now this is talking he, uh, about... Um, you know, we would call it uh, accidental manslaughter. This is something where you accidentally kill somebody. It wasn't premeditated. There was no uh, desire to murder or kill the other person. He'll give an illustration later on in Deuteronomy of where a man is uh, working in a forest 
and he's uh, got an, uh, an axe and he's chopping down a tree and uh, sometimes the axe head can loosen, you know, on an on a axe and the axe head would fly off and then hit, strike somebody that's uh, innocent in the area and it would kill them. And uh, so that was not a death penalty because that was accidental. And what the Lord, and we'll, he'll develop it a little bit later in the law, what he established were six cities of refuge where if I was taking and chopping a tree and the axe head flies off and hits somebody and they're dead, uh, in those days uh, in Israel, no law enforcement. So what would, what would happen within the family is the oldest male member of the family of the man who's just been killed, it was his responsibility then to exact justice in the name of the family toward whoever had done wrong uh, to, to his family. So he would hear about the death of his brother or the death of his nephew or whatever it might be, and all of the sudden, he, you know, all this passion, all this anger, all this desire for revenge, he doesn't have the facts. He doesn't know yet now whether it was premeditated or it was accidental. He's just going to go and kill this guy. And, uh, and, so, and no law enforcement in place to take care of things in those days for him. So the person that had accidentally killed the person would be able to go to one of these six cities, uh, three of them on the east side of the Jordan, three of them on the west, all of them within running distance. Be a motivation to stay fit well into your older years. But you could, you know, get there on foot, uh, you know, within a day or so. You'd go into that city of refuge and the uh, avenger of of blood, which is what this family member would be called, could not go into that city and do you any harm. And the idea was not that a person could then kill someone, run into that city and get away with legitimate murder. What it did is it allowed time then for the judges uh, of Israel to hear the specifics of the case, determine whether it was murder or whether it was accidental, and then mete out a proper uh, punishment concerning that. So he, God differentiated between premeditated murder and, uh, and then accidental murder. But if a man acts, verse 14, with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So even if he ran into a city of refuge, grabbed the very horns of the altar, you know, in the temple or someplace, and, uh, and as a means of protection and saying, you can't kill me here, he was to, if he was guilty of murder, even that wasn't to protect his life. He was to be dragged out of there and then the uh, death sentence to be meted out upon him. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Wow. Wow. The physical smiting of a child uh, toward either their father or their mother was a death sentence. Now you can't have a stronger protection for parental authority than that. And God's communicating so that through that. He, he is protecting parents' parental authority against abuse and against rebellion by children. And that was a protection that God was giving not only for individual parents against being abused by <clears throat> their children, but it was also a protection upon society. It was a protection upon the health 
of the family unit in the society as a whole. There was to be zero tolerance for violence or rebellion by children against parents. That was a leaven that was never to be allowed to be introduced into the nation of Israel and then affect the nation as a whole. Or you'd have uh, a handful or whatever the number might be of rebellious children. The overwhelming majority of them are honoring their parents, the laws of the land, the laws of God, all of this. And this group, this small minority, was not to be protected in some kind of a non-right uh, to be rebellious and then infect the other 98% of the children in the population uh, by accommodating them in their, their rebellion. It was not to be given the smallest foothold uh, in society. I think it's very important for us to, as parents today to uh, be very careful about what we allow in front of our children, in front of our grandchildren, that nurtures rebellion for authority in their lives and rebellion against parental authority. Which, uh, you, uh, So you grab the remote and you just turn the dumb thing off just about, right? And you, you, you can look at the studies for, for instance, the sitcoms and all of the shows and, and everything. There is a deliberate, purposeful uh, agenda to uh, demean parents, demean parental authority, to nurture and encourage rebellion in children. And no parent in their right mind is going to allow that to be nurtured in their children. And that's not just TV, that's music, that's everywhere. Rebellion, remember, as Samuel told to Saul, it is as the sin of witchcraft. Because the next thing is they're not just rebelling against parents, they're rebelling against society, now it becomes a societal problem, and then they're rebelling against God, and then it becomes a problem in the kingdom of, of God. Be very careful to screen what is an incredibly strong uh, attempt to infect our children with rebellion against God-given parental uh, authority as parents. Let's take note of that. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, if he is found in his hand, uh, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Kidnapping was a capital crime. When I was a boy... Kidnapping was a capital crime. It's not anymore. See, the, the degree to which a nation, any nation in the world, we, we're different than most nations in the world, and that we have a godly heritage. Most nations in the world do not have a godly heritage. Their constitution and their uh, bill of rights and, and the uh, kind of moral fabric of the laws uh, of the land and all did not come from the Bible like with us. So it's one thing, you know, for Sudan or Somalia uh, or Uganda or someplace like that, you know, trying to get their bearings in very far from the standard of the Word of God. Uh, we have a little more responsibility for veering away from it. But the degree to which a nation has moved from this kind of a standard is the degree to which we are moving away from what is to be a very high standard for law and order, for right and not for wrong, and, and for godliness and for holiness in the culture. And, uh, and I say even in my lifetime, many of these laws that used to characterize the sentences in this country have, have moved from that. Used to be... 
an automatic capital crime in the United States. And he who curses, so now we go not only to physical abuse of parents, but now we even move to verbal abuse of parents. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. God was just not going to put up with it. He was not going to give it a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He was not going to let that thing take hold among his people. It just was not to happen. And then he uh, moves on here in verse 18 and he starts to deal with laws uh, governing violent crimes and personal injuries. If a man, if men contend, two men, they contend with one another, uh, they get in a fight. And one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist. And, and the one that he strikes doesn't die, but he's confined to his bed. He's, uh, he's been injured, badly injured in the fight. If he arises again uh, and walks outside with his staff, then the man who struck him shall be acquitted. No charges brought against him and, and no financial responsibility. He has only, or, I'm sorry, he does have financial responsibility. He, uh, no criminal charges brought against him. He has only, uh, he shall only pay for the loss of the injured man's time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And so he's responsible and uh, for the injury of this person in the fight. They're both equally responsible for the fight, and uh, he's to pay compensation for lost pay and also for uh, medical uh, expenses until the man is thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or his female servant with a rod so that the servant dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. And so uh, God steps in and, uh, and forbids the beating to death of, of a servant. Very common uh, thing in those days, servants or slaves were considered to be mere property, not even human beings. And so you could do with them what you wanted. God steps in and says, that's not the way I see things. And, and it's human life. And even if a master takes and, and beats his servant uh, uh, to death, He's to be held responsible for it. Notwithstanding, if the servant remains alive for a day or two following the beating, the owner shall not be punished, for he is his property. And the idea here is, is that uh, if an owner wanted to beat a servant to death, he knew how to do that. So if he beat him uh, to a place where the uh, beating wasn't severe enough to kill them, but he lived on for a couple of days and then succumbed to death, then they were to take that as an indication that it wasn't premeditated. The owner did not intend to kill him, that that was uh, an accidental death and his punishment was the loss of his property of the slave. If men fight and they hurt a woman with, pride, uh, with child. So here, this fist fight breaks out and turns into a big tussle and guys are swinging each other all over the place and all. And there's a woman who's pregnant. Uh, it gets uh, caught in the crossfire of the fight and then she gives uh, birth uh, prematurely. Uh, then, uh, so she induces labor, now she's, uh, the baby starts to come, yet no harm follows, and the idea is to her or the baby, then he shall surely be punished according as the husband, woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So here she is, she's pregnant, this fight breaks out, she's an innocent bystander, and, and, and then gets uh, thrown to the ground or knocked sideways or whatever, 
induces labor. The child is born prematurely, but the child is okay. Kind of praise the Lord. And, and the mother is okay. Then the husband of the wife was then to go to the judges and determine a uh, financial sum that was to be paid to the husband because of what they had done. All the way through these laws, the one thing we see God developing within His people and within that nation is personal responsibility for your actions. And when you do what you do and it goes outside of, of your control and it now impacts other people, then you can't just go, whoops, sorry, never meant that to happen. You are responsible for your actions. And that's a good thing in a nation. And, and so this was the idea. They did the fight. They did, even though everyone ended up safe and sound, they did bring trauma into the family and they were to uh, pay a price uh, for that, to make them think twice about fighting and getting so lost in the fight that they didn't care who they hurt uh, in, other, in order to do one another uh, harm. Then, very interesting in verse 23, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. In other words, if that fight breaks out and she miscarries or she dies as a result of it, then, and the, or the baby is lost as a result of it, then, then that's a death penalty. A life has been lost and they, the death penalty was to be meted out against them. It's fascinating in the passage that God gives the same value to the unborn child as he does to the mother in this incident. Whether the mother gets lost or the child gets lost, it's the same to him. Then it is to be life for life for the loss. And so uh, God sees the child in the womb uh, as a human being. Praise the Lord for that and that wonderful standard that our nation has lost sight of. Not entirely. And, uh, and things are swinging back in the other direction. You know, one of the interesting things about you take the abortion, and I mean, how much more abortion on this? This is at least accidental. Uh, abortion is, is a deliberate kind of thing. But it's kind of like when you talk about the Bible and the different things um, where uh, the, you, you, the old saying is concerning the archaeologists, you know, keep digging away over there because everything they find proves the truthfulness of the Bible. And, uh, and in some respects, you can almost say with the technology today, keep developing the technology because these ultrasounds, these different things, these ability to keep children and babies alive when they're just this little uh, pound and 12 ounces and they survive and all, it's, it, it shouldn't be necessary, but it is waking people up to the fact that that is a child in the womb. And I know that this is a painful subject for many in the room because you have an abortion in your past that you have, you know, chose to, to do. And God has forgiveness for that. And, and, and He knows how to wipe our tears and to heal us and all of that. And, and, and He does that. We all have sin in our past to whatever kind of, of a degree. But please understand that we can't just pass up on all these passages and never talk about anything that can cut, hit close to home uh, in the Bible or we'll never keep raising the standard of God's holiness high uh, in our lives, uh, in, in our own lives, and then we can be an influence in the culture. 
he, that child was viewed with the same value as the mother. And then eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, she lost a tooth in the fight, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's called even-handed uh, justice. And so to keep, uh, it was given this way so that the punishment that would be meted out on the wrongdoer would not be too lenient, nor would it be uh, too harsh in case it was like a... Uh, some kind of a celebrity that got hurt or some kind of powerful person that got hurt and then the tendency would be to put someone away for a million years when, when the punishment should have been something less. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant, strikes him and blinds them in the eye, then that servant was to be let free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go for free for the sake uh, of the tooth. And so I just would be saying to my master, go ahead, just right here. Just give me a good one right here. And uh, I'll go get some kind of a Maryland bridge or something in there and, and uh, get that taken care of. But, but what the Lord was saying was here, is again he's stepping in for the servants for the slaves who had no rights in those days and saying these people are not to be abused they are not to be abused whatever their position in life now again the, all of these laws resulted in people being personally responsible for their actions when they did something they had to take into consideration how their actions affected other people how their actions affected other people's property it is a fabulous way of building in personal responsibility for the actions of people in their lives from youth they're raised up this way so when they do things they're thinking of the big picture and we've moved very far from that uh, in, in this country and so here you would have a society that is greatly marked by a sense of personal responsibility and we're moving uh, very very quickly away from it then he moves on here in verse 28 and he talks about uh, laws governing negligence or gross negligence if an ox gores a man or a woman to death then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted so here you got this ox it gets out it gores someone to death you're horrified you can't believe it it's never done this before I feel so terrible and all the ox was then to be killed nobody was to eat it because of uh, its shedding of, of human blood but you as an owner were not responsible because it was it uh, wasn't negligence on your part you could not have known that this would would happen but verse 29 if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and it has been made known to the owner uh, and he has not kept that animal confined so that it has killed a man or a woman the ox shall be stoned and the owner also shall be put uh, to death so here is a guy, he owns this animal, he knows it, it, it has a history of goring people or it's a threat to people and people's uh, safety. If that ox then gores someone, 
the animal was to be killed and the person was to be also uh, be executed uh, for it and uh, it, it, because uh, he uh, he had put other people unnecessarily uh, in in danger here and 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 so that was to be the punishment to be meted out for gross kind of negligence criminal uh, negligence now I don't know how many of you own an ox very few of us own an ox today and all but we see it all the time don't we with with dogs uh, pit bulls and these kind of things people say all the time I don't know what the problem is the bad rap pit bulls get but two of you will come up after the service and tell me about your little baby pit bull and how wonderful it is and licks everybody's faces when they come to the house but um, I used to work for the phone company and uh, so it, you'd knock on the door I need to get to the pole in your backyard and all and I noticed you got uh, like uh, four pit bulls and two Doberman pincers and uh, I was wondering if you could uh, you know put them away oh they're harmless and they just Fifi and uh, Peppy come on go over here you know <laughs> and I mean I've had them come right through the screen door little Fifi and uh, at me and all so I would just take this big old lineman hammer and I'd just walk in that backyard come on Fifi man you're gonna just give you I'll Fifi you so uh, but but there ha has been tragically I mean I've got you laughing here now uh, tragically so but the but you know how many times do we pick up and here's this dog that's been known to do harm and, the, and an infant a child is left in its its presence this is the kind of thing where the the population people were to think about other people concerning their property uh, and their and their decision making and so here God is, is saying concerning the children of Israel that they had a responsibility to be a good citizen to be a safe citizen to take the safety of their neighbors into account uh, in in their uh, in their actions then if if there is a p imposed on him a sum of money then he shall pay to redeem his life uh, whatever is imposed upon him so in this case in this case alone if the family and the judges of Israel decided we will find this person a certain amount of money rather than capital punishment then God allowed for that uh, to be there and whether it was a gourd son or gourd daughter wasn't to, no taking the sex into account a According to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30, uh, 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And so here is uh, the law related to a servant or a slave that's gored. Very, very interesting. Apparently, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a, a slave in those days. Interesting, isn't it, that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? the price of a dead gourd slave um, on, uh, on the uh, night before the, the cross. And if a man, here's a, a case of, of negligence involving an open pit, if a man opens a pit, so a guy digs a big old pit, maybe for water, for whatever kind of a person, and uh, 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 if a man opens a pit, an existing pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, in other words, make it safe for people that might just be walking along, and an ox or a donkey uh, falls into it, then the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall uh, give money to their owner 
but the dead animals shall be his. He was to, that's a gross negligence. He's gonna, you're going to open a pit up where anybody just minding their own business can fall into it and get hurt, or their animals can, then he was to be held responsible for that. He could have the dead animal, but he'd have to pay the owner of it for the value of that animal. If uh, one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, another ox, then they shall sell the live ox, divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended the thrust in times past uh, against other oxen, and its owner has not kept it confined, then he shall surely pay ox for ox, and then he's left with the, the dead animal uh, on his own. And so uh, the uh, protection here of, uh, again, other people's property. To own an ox in those days was like a really big deal. That's how you made money. This is how, uh, you know, to work fields and these kinds of things. And so uh, God protecting livelihood and other people's um, uh, property. So again, that whole uh, personal responsibility with the added element of restitution. Restitution. And this is a problem for us, of course, in our country. We meet out these sentences. Uh, we put people behind bars for long periods of time and, and all. But overall, just because of the sheer number of criminals that we deal with in the nation, restitution doesn't even uh, come onto the table. Not uh, typically in, in criminal law, I guess in civil law, that's where you would take care of, of that side of things. But they were forced to do restitution. It cost you out of your pocket. Uh, to do something that created hardship for someone else again so that you would never do that again because you would never want to have to pay uh, that amount again. It's a healthy thing uh, for people in this fallen world to be held responsible and to be forced to make restitution. Now the laws concerning uh, personal property. If a man steals an ox, are you enjoying this at all? If you're not, don't say anything. But anybody that is, on this, I just love this. I am such a law and order guy, I, and decent in an order and right. And the law goes right across the way, rich or poor, no matter what. Just do it and develop responsible people who will take the big picture. Oh, I'm in my glory going through these chapters. I just love it. So thank you for being here with me tonight uh, so that I could have some company. And it's, it's just, I love to see productive, responsible people developed. And uh, this is the way to do it. So, oh, man. <laughs> having such a great time, you know. So chapter 22. If a man, I guess, okay. And then it doesn't help when you live in a place where this kind of just common sense right across the board justice and rightness uh, doesn't occur much anymore. So it does my heart good to know that it can or it did somewhere in human history. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it, so now you've got the theft of personal property, slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen if he steals one ox, four sheep uh, for a stolen sheep. Again, restitution. Make them pay for their crime. Uh, 
And what God did with a person that would be caught having stolen, they stole an ox, now they have to replace five, uh, four for a sheep. Why more oxen for a sheep? Oxen had to do with your livelihood. You used oxen to plow fields. This was your livelihood that was being stolen away from you, more than just your food source. Those sheep could be a, a livelihood too. So the greater penalty. But if somebody stole, even if they had to then sell themselves as a Hebrew into slavery for six years to pay that off, the price for five oxen or for four sheep, then they needed to do that. There needed to be restitution. It wasn't just you slapped them on the hands or did something like that. They had to work to replace that times five and times uh, four. And just getting the word through to everybody, listen, crime doesn't pay around here. Don't even think about uh, doing it. But if the thief, we won't even get into cars. I'm so tempted to get into cars. But if the thief is found breaking in into your house at night and he is struck so that he dies, you shoot him dead, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Uh, But if the sun has risen on him, and now he's trying to break into your house or into your property, uh, the sun has risen, and now you can make things out a little bit better, there shall be uh, guilt for his bloodshed. So God gives an allowance for crime being committed at night and in the day. So at nighttime, here's somebody who's trying to break into your house. It's dark. You're having trouble figuring out, do I just have a thief on my hands right now? Is he going to come into the house and kill everybody in the house? I don't know. Is he halfway into the house? Is he not halfway into the house? You could take things into your own hands and you could kill that guy on the spot uh, for doing that because you, you don't have the ability to ascertain you know, uh, how grievous uh, the danger is. And God said, that's self-defense, you're free to do it. Now, when the sun came up, if the same guy's trying to get in the same window and you look at it and, it's, and you say, well, it's a meth addict and he's trying to get in here and, and uh, you know, take out some uh, electronics or something and you know, all I've got to do is just uh, walk over to the window and it'll freak him out and he'll go running away or something. There's no physical danger. Or you call the police or you yell out, I'm going to call the police or something. And you do some kind of a deal or you shout and it scares him away. Um, then that's what was to be done during the day when you realize he's not trying to break in to kill anybody or to physically harm us. He's, he's a thief trying to break in. We, in that situation, they were not free to kill a person over property. Now, they could uh, thwart the crime to keep it from happening, but God steps in, and his concern uh, for blood, and, 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 and that, that blood would not be uh, shed uh, unnecessarily, he steps in and says, even for the thief, I don't want them killed uh, for just being a thief unless there's a legitimate physical danger. Again, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and, and that kind of, of, of a thing. So the differentiation uh, that was there. And he should make, if he's stealing, you catch him in the day, he should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold into slavery for his theft in order to uh, pay uh, for his, his, his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, you catch him heading out of the you know, barn with your sheep or something, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. And so he's not only to give the sheep back, 
but then he is to provide you with an additional uh, sheep. Again, restitution. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed or lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. You say, these are the Jews, these are the children of Israel. No, there wouldn't be creepy people like that, would there? There, there were. And there are people like that today. They're going to take my flock right over here. You know, Don't want them to graze in my field over here. We'll keep that for another time. We'll just let them go into Farmer Joe's field over here, graze his whole thing up. And, and then, you know, sneak them, sneak them on out. You know how people just work the angles on this stuff? Just no good on it. So if you do that and you get caught with that, Farmer Smith gets to come back and graze his, his uh, herds in the very best of, of your land. Again, to make you think twice about doing uh, that, that kind of thing. Restitution. If, the fire, if a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Again, we see the word, don't we? And so here I am. Uh, I've harvested my uh, uh, crop, and now I'm going to burn the field and, and the brush or whatever from being a farmer and all. And so I set it on fire. Something happens. It gets into the dry thorns, and then pretty soon the fire jumps over and burns the whole field of my neighbor. It's all gone, wiped out. I need to make restitution for that. I can't go over there and say, wow, bad Bad, Damien. I mean, it's just, what a terrible mistake I've made. I just feel so terrible. You have my apologies. Apologies are not enough. Confession of wrongdoing, not enough. Restitution had to be made because, again, not only maintaining law and order, but developing responsible citizens. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it's stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Didn't have banks in those days. So you'd have what was called a safe house. Maybe here's somebody in the neighborhood that got a big old house and lots of people in there and it's safer. I go out into the field every day to do my work and I've got $30 under the mattress. I'm going to deliver it to this guy to keep it as, 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 for safekeeping. And then so it's being kept in this house and somebody breaks into that house and then steals your, uh, your money. And if the thief is found, he is to pay double for that, uh, for that theft. If the thief is not found, your money just goes and the guy says, well, it was a thief, but you go, yeah, thief, my eye, uh, you know, uh, I don't believe you on that. Then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. So they would do an interrogation to make sure, yes, it was theft, and that this guy wasn't ripping off people that were delivering things for safekeeping. It, 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 so if you had something delivered to you for safekeeping, you had a responsibility then to do whatever was necessary to actually keep it safe, to keep the promises you were making to people. If uh, for any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing, uh, which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. So disputes over property to be brought to the judges, they would do a hearing, 
and then judge accordingly. Nobody was to take the law into their own hands uh, on this. If a man delivers to his neighbor a a donkey, uh, an ox, a sheep, or an animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, so just dies out in the field. That happens. It's hurt, uh, no neglect, a gopher hole kind of thing, uh, or it's driven away. Maybe a, a neighboring tribe has raided, you know, and taken uh, the animal. No one's seeing it, uh, what happened in the situation. Then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both that the man that was keeping the animals did not put his hand into his neighbor's goods and the owner of it shall accept that and the other man shall not make it good. He doesn't have to pay anything. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner. So if if it was out of his control, then he didn't have to make restitution. But if he did not properly protect, gave the appearance, this is a safe house, I'll take care of things, but was negligent in his promises, then he had to make restitution, kind of a better business bureau thing of of the ancient days. If it is torn, the animal that you've entrusted to this man for safekeeping, if it's torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, uh, the man that's keeping it, here's the animal torn apart by the beast, and he shall not make good what was torn. I mean, these are just normal things that happen. Uh, No amount of protection could protect from that uh, in those days, and you had to accept it. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor, borrowing tools, always been a risky thing, both then and now. So here you are, borrowers beware, responsibility. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, then uh, the owner of the animal not being with it, he shall, the borrower, surely make it good. So you borrow this guy's oxen or his uh, donkey or whatever, and you work it to death and it dies. And, uh, or you don't work it to death, it just dies. You say, wow, I didn't know it had 250,000 miles on it, and I can have, you know, the tail end of the thing and just put, you know, right there in your field. But uh, if you borrowed the animal, you were then responsible to, to, uh, to replace that animal. If you hired the owner and the animal, you got them both as a team, and the owner then is in, cons- in charge of the animal, then you don't have to make it good if the animal dies. It was hired, and it came for its hire. Then he moves on here, and he starts to address uh, laws, various laws addressing uh, holiness here in, uh, in verse uh, 16. First of all, Uh, regarding sexual purity. If a man entices a virgin uh, who is not betrothed, so she's free to marry, he entices or seduces a virgin and he lies with her, uh, sexual intercourse, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. And so uh, we, sometimes we can think about ancient times and think all of these sins that we deal with today are kind of new things. No, uh, sexual seduction uh, took place in, in ancient times too. So here's a man and he, he seduces this uh, young lady and, uh, and has uh, sexually involved uh, with her. And if it, when that then became known, he had to pay a dowry to her father. 
and, and thus make her his wife. If you were going to be physically involved with another person, you had to be ready to marry that person and pay a dowry uh, for her to the family in order to marry her. So to have a physical relationship was essentially uh, to, to, you better be prepared now uh, to marry. Now, marriage in those days meant that the groom always had to pay the father of the bride uh, a dowry. It was usually money or animals uh, or some kind of valuables for a couple of reasons. When they would bring a dowry, say, I'd like, uh, I'd like to have your daughter's wife in marriage. I'm going to give you this sum of money for her. It would communicate a couple of things. Number one, it would uh, communicate respect to the father. Uh, this is how I, valuable I view your daughter. And, it, and sometimes it wouldn't be the size of the gift, but it would be the proportion uh, the, uh, of your wealth that was represented in that gift. And so it was just respect toward the family. The second thing it communicated uh, to both the father and the daughter was how much this young man, uh, how highly he esteemed her, how valuable he esteemed her to be in the size of, of the dowry that, that he uh, would, would give. It was also kind of a uh, alimony in advance in case that here the father gives his daughter in marriage and then uh, the husband divorces her or the husband dies. Then that rather large sum of money, a dowry was not like uh, $250 or something. You're talking about uh, kind of sums of money that you would work months or years to save up for your wedding day to give that as a dowry for, the, for the, your future wife. And so we're talking about very, something very, very valuable. So the father would receive that. He would then hold on to it in the family so that if anything ever happened to the husband, the daughter would then once again come under the uh, care and provision of her family and that those resources then would be used to uh, help her and sustain her. So it was very, very uh, practical. So the dowry was to be paid. Uh, in the event of, of this kind of seduction. And then notice verse 17. If her father utterly refuses to give his daughter to him, he'll still pay the money according to the bride price of virgins. And so uh, let's say he comes and he says, all right, here is the, you know, the dowry that I'm going to give you to marry your daughter because I've been involved with her and this kind of thing. The father can re could at that point say, I'm not giving her to you. Uh, I don't like what you are, I don't like who you are, I don't like what you've done here in this situation, whatever the reasons might be. And, and he could refuse to give his daughter to the young man in marriage, but the guy still had to pay the dowry because now her having lost her virginity in that culture would have made it uh, immensely difficult for her now to be married. Uh, and, and so um, he had uh, caused a, a potentially very long-term uh, financial kind of impact upon the family by, by being sexually involved with her. So one of the things that this would do is we talk about personal responsibility in all of it. I, I think presumably the very, very high financial price that a young man would have to pay for his sexual immorality in those days would have caused him to think uh, very much twice uh, about ever giving in to the lusts of his flesh. It was a very, very expensive uh, proposition. And then he said, verse 18, 
You shall not permit a sorceress to live, a witch. So the, this is uh, another uh, capital crime. Zero tolerance for witches uh, in, by God. So we have today we have talk about you know Wiccan and don't send me articles on Wiccan. I know what uh, it's the nature God and the earth God and all this kind of stuff. So okay, just don't. Um, so. God doesn't know anything about good witches or bad witches or white witches or these witches. Or, they're all witches to him. And they're all tapped into something that's way different from him. And again, zero tolerance on his part for witches. And that goes to the same thing for warlocks. Uh, the demonic realm is real. That is a super real realm. And when a person, especially here among God's people, takes and taps into that realm and says, I am now going to make myself an instrument uh, for the devil or an instrument for a power that is against God and against his purposes, what he's trying to do in, in people, God says, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to even allow the smallest amount of that influence um, in, in the culture. Great wickedness in his eyes and and they were to be cut off now today you can turn on tv and they've got tv shows about witches and all this kind of stuff and it's again a dumbing down on our part of the seriousness of of uh, of, of all of this and and it was done for the health and the protection of society people that are tapped in into evil they're tapped into uh, the devil uh, tapped into that kind of darkness and they choose to to be uh, they're to be kept responsible for their actions they lead people into real darkness they lead them into real bondage they lead them into uh, eternal uh, damnation and I think only the person who has no sense of eternal judgment no sense of the fact that there is a heaven and a hell on the other side of this life and how serious it is to pull a person away from a path that leads to heaven and to put them on a path that leads to hell and the eternal repercussions, not only for the witch's life, but for the other people's life. I think that's the only person that steps in and wants to have a, um, a sorceress defense league of some kind for them. Eternity's real. It's going to go on for a long time. And when God looks at it and says, I don't want anybody pulling anyone into this kind of stuff and again in the country that we live in it's crazy we will rise up and we will defend the rights of five witches or warlocks or whatever kind of gross sin people are involved in and we will protest so often for their right to express themselves even though they will if they have their way destroy the entire culture destroy people lead people into unbelievable darkness God doesn't play the game he doesn't see it as, as an equal kind of thing said so zero tolerance uh, for this kind of stuff I don't buy into it whoever lies with an animal Bestiality shall surely be put uh, to death. Horrifying. Now this bestiality was very much a part of Canaanite Baal worship. 
We're going to wonder why God takes and boots uh, these nations out of the land of Canaan in order for the children of Israel to go in. Bestiality was a regular expression of of worship of Baal in, in that culture. Horrifying today, and sometimes I'll be doing a sermon or something, and, and I'll, I'll go online or something and say, okay, statistics on this thing or that kind of a deal or whatever. And, and so if you get into like ones that deal with sexual activity and what percentage of the population, this and this and this and this, the, the percentage with bestiality in the United States, scary, scary. And what happens here where the Lord says, that's a, death, that's a death sentence. Anyone who deliberately taps into that kind of evil, he said, I don't want to have be any influence in, in among my people. So he says, that's it. That's it for them. Now, in Christ, in this covenant, a person can have been engaged in that kind of sin, in any kind of sin, and receive forgiveness the power of the Holy Spirit to come into a person's life and make us into something entirely uh, different. So I want you to understand, God forgives these kind of things. He can break the power of even these kinds of things. But in that, that covenant, uh, that was a, a death sentence for bestiality. He who sacrifices uh, to any God except the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed, put to death. Again. What we must never lose sight of as Christians, again, eternity is a long time. It is a big deal to introduce something among God's people that pulls them away from the worship of the Lord and changes their eternal destination. Death sentence for it under the law of Moses. You shall not mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and of course strangers in a foreign land. Many of you have been in a foreign land, whether missions or traveling or something like that. How vulnerable are you? I feel pretty vulnerable. What train am I supposed to get on? You call that an alphabet? I don't have the slightest idea what that schedule says or what, you know, I mean, you're really susceptible to being taken uh, advantage of or mistreated. Israel is to be known as a land that was hospitable and took care of strangers because they had a history of being a stranger in Egypt. They knew what it was to be taken advantage of by a native population, and, and so they should have been under, uh, understanding toward uh, the stranger. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child now those are two those are two conditions in life that are what you don't have personal responsibility for them no woman who becomes a widow is is, is so by her own doing that happens to you in life so we're not talking about personal responsibility no child becomes an orphan in life because of their own doing. These are things that are outside of their own personal responsibility. That was to be taken into account. An orphan or a widow in that culture, you, there's no Social Security in those days. No retirement plans, no anything. Your family was what would get you through your uh, old age and, and on into eternity and all. These, these two groups had none of that. And so, on top of the difficulty of their life, they were not to be taken advantage of uh, beyond that. There was, life was already hard enough for them. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. 
Have I been clear? <laughs> yes. Don't mess with these people uh, because I'm going to protect them. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you. Now, if you're in some kind of a business where you lend money commercially and personally and that kind of thing, it's not talking about that. It's talking about lending money to the poor for the purpose of taking advantage uh, of, of them. So I'm assuming you're on the up and up. If you're you know, taking advantage of people in a, in a difficult place, that's not what he's trying to protect here. But if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like mon a money lender to them. You shall not charge him interest. The poor were not to be taken advantage of because of the vulnerability of their Position, And uh, I think that's very good for all, those of us in the room today that own businesses and these kind of things. Because a person has hit a difficult time in life, a downtime in life, they're powerless, they don't have resources to maybe do the best deal kind of a thing, and you kind of, we can kind of lick our chops and say, wow, this is going to be easy, I'm going to rip them off like nothing. That kind of stuff was not to happen. If you ever take your neighbor's garment, as a pledge, his outer kind of wrap, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. So he says, hey, listen, can I borrow 20 bucks from you? Say, give me that wrap. Give me your robe. It's all you got. But you, and so that I'll know you'll come back and pay me uh, the 20 bucks back. And, but if, he, if nightfall came and he didn't repay you the 20, you still gave him his coat back because his coat was his bed. His coat was this blanket. It's what kept him warm at night. Go to India, very, very interesting. And, and the few times we've been to India, I like to get up early in the morning and just go walk before everything kind of wakes up and all, and just everywhere in all direction. People sleeping on the streets, and they have their wrap around them. It's their mattress. It's their blanket. And so that kind of thing happens even today. That was not to be taken from them, for that is his only covering. It's his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. So respect for uh, God-given authority. Now, some of you, um, uh, we're... Um, I, I would say, uh, you know, politics was one of the things you weren't supposed to talk. When I, the place, the barbershop that I used to get my hair cut as, in as a kid, one of the rules was no politics. There were two other rules, one of which I'm heavily engaged in right now. It was religion. And, uh, but the, no politics in there because uh, things could get heated. So politics have always been kind of a heated uh, discussion. But it used to be, and those of you who are a little bit older, you understand where people say, where someone gets elected into an office, say the presidency of the United States, and you'll say, listen, at the moment I don't, I'm not talking about right now, but I'm saying where a person can say, at the moment I do not respect the person who holds the office, but I respect the office. And that's kind of something that an older generation, that's a part of what you and me were raised with now. Now today, respect for anything is like off the table. People will say anything, anywhere and all. What God is saying here is just that. And you wonder, where did it come from? I don't respect the person, but I respect the office. Right here in the Bible. Right here in the Bible, that's where it comes from. 
And so um, we are to respect the institution of law and order, the institution of government. Those are God-given institutions. And, and so we are to be careful how we speak about the people who are in those institutions. doesn't mean that we can't disagree with them and those kind of things, but we are not to turn into a cursor of these people. And it's interesting that he talks about reviling God and maybe because there's kind of a stepping stone where a person starts to lose control, they start to speak against God-given authority or at least positions of authority in the world, and then the next thing they feel very free to revile God. But it wasn't to be done, and, and that's kind of the history of things in our nation. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and uh, your juices uh, uh, to the Lord. So when you had something, your harvest and all, and, and, and there was a required offering to be given to the Lord, you weren't supposed to say, I'll get to that sometime and give it to him maybe in two weeks or two months, and what's the big deal? He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. It's about respect. Is about respect. So God says, don't delay, don't take care of everybody else and then delay with me. And it's a respect issue. And it's, it's not just that he would be disrespected, but a person that would do that has a, 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 a level of disrespect in their heart toward God that isn't healthy. And, and, and it shouldn't be a part of our lives. And this keeps it from getting kind of a foothold. We take and say, God, you get yours first. You're worthy. You provided all of it. And uh, notice in verse 29, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Again, the offering and the redeeming them uh, with, the, with the five shekels and all. Likewise, you shall do with all of your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. And you shall be uh, holy men to me. And you shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dog. So you're out walking in the field and the animals uh, came upon a sheep or an oxen tore it apart at night and all. You couldn't say, wow, this is great, breakfast, and, and take it home and use it. And so God said, no, that's defiled. Number one, it hasn't been bled properly as a result and now the blood's coagulated and everything. So it hasn't been bled right, but it's also been um, uh, defiled and made unclean by unclean animals. So remember that, no roadkill. If you ever tempted, no road guilty. But you can give those things to your dogs. But we'll stop there right now, and and uh, we'll pick things up in chapter three, 23 next uh, next time. So the worship team come forward. That would be great. Listen, so glad you came tonight. Kept me company in all of this. I mean, does anybody else in the room like that, this stuff right here? Just a show of hands on it. Oh, I, I just, I like that God, you're going to get, I'm like, you don't, I know, you say, don't get him going on the thing. But I, I, I like it, the, my girls used to, um, uh, you know, in Sunday school, the little song, my God is so strong, so great and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, our God isn't trying to figure out who he is in Colorado or in ski trips and these kind of things traveling around the world. And he's not afraid to say what is right and what is wrong. And what this really does for me is it, it tells me that God is interested in details. 
Those things are important to him. And uh, personal responsibility, restitution, these are good things for us. And so when you raise your children in that way, when you demand that of your employees, or when you demand that of your, you know, Cub Scout group or something, you are not doing harm to them. Uh, this is something that helps them grow into uh, the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let's stand together. If you're here tonight and you have never committed your life to Christ, never received them into your life for the forgiveness of your sins and the receiving of everlasting life and, and all, you need to do that tonight. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after the service. I have a badge on that says prayers. So you can identify them easily. They'd love to pray with you to 